I encourage you to turn to Acts chapter 10. Acts chapter 10, we'll be looking at verses 1 through 8 this morning. There was a certain man in Caesarea called Cornelius, a centurion of what was called the Italian Regiment, a devout man, one who feared God with all his household, who gave alms generously to the people and prayed to God always. About the ninth hour of the day, he saw clearly in a vision an angel of God coming in and saying to him, Cornelius. And when he observed him, he was afraid and said, What is it, Lord? And so he said to him, Your prayers and your alms have come up as a memorial before me. Now send men to Joppa and send for Simon, whose surname is Peter. He is lodging with Simon a tanner, whose house is by the sea. And he will tell you what you must do. And when the angel who spoke to him had departed, Cornelius called two of his household servants and a devout soldier from among those who waited on him continually. And so when he explained all these things to them, he sent them to Joppa. O Lord God, may thou bless not only the reading of the word, but its explanation. May thy Holy Spirit be pleased to grant us illumination at this time we ask through Christ. So we begin a new chapter today in the book of Acts. As we do come to this new chapter, we also come to a new and remarkable turn in the narrative. Chapter 10 shows us what may be the first time in the New Testament that an angel appears to a Gentile. Gentile is someone who is, is not a Jew. So in the New Testament, this could be the first time that this takes place. Now up to this point, as we have been looking through these first nine chapters, what we have seen is that the gospel has come to Jews and to Greeks, Greeks who had embraced Judaism. This then is an important time in our own history. For it will be, <clears throat> excuse me, the Apostle Peter who will be used of the Lord first to bring an uncircumcised Gentile into the Christian church. There are three parts that I want to look at. Uh, uh, I'm not a great fan of alliteration, but then again, it seemed to work. So we'll look at the man, we'll look at the message. And we'll look at the meaning. So first we're introduced to the man. The man who will be the means by which this event will take place. And what a great man he is. The way he is described here in verse 2. A devout man. One who feared God with all his household. Who gave alms. I remember... In my very early days of being saved, when I heard that word alms, what does that mean? I, it's, it's offerings, it's beneficence, it's, a, it's, a, it's the giving generously of, of, of what you have to help others less fortunate. So he gave alms generously to the people and prayed to God always. Now you look at this and you say, 
This is a great description of a Christian. But he's not. He's not a Christian at this point. But what a great start. And sometimes you look at that and say, well, I'm not doing that good. A centurion. His name is Cornelius, which by his name tells us that he is a Roman. He is an Italian. And we also are told that uh, he is with the Italian regiment, which means that's a con it consists of those who were in Italy that have been brought to this place in service to the Roman Empire. As you know, a centurion would be one who has authority over 100 men. And the description that is given of him shows that he is a, at the same time a rare and remarkable man. It tells us that he was a man of great authority and at the same time a good man. A lot of times we don't see that combination. We can look to some who occupy places of leadership in our government who have great authority and we can see the pomposity of their being and how they carry themselves and how they look down upon people instead of thinking that they are a servant to the people. And sometimes we see that in religion too. People who have certain authoritative positions in certain churches that seem to think that everybody is to serve them. So in all generations, this is a rare combination. A good man, a great man, a man of, uh, who's a good man at the same time. And it's amazing to see how the grace of God works. The first Jewish converts were fishermen. And what seems to be the first Gentile convert will be a centurion. God did not. For the first Gentile called to salvation, he did not go to a Greek philosopher or some kind of Gentile philosopher some kind of Gentile worshiper of idols. But he comes to a Roman soldier, one who knew order, one who had respect of position. But at the same time, this, was, this is a man with no background. And as a Roman soldier, basically he owed allegiance the Roman emperor, and that required, in many cases, the worship of the emperor. So the only worship that he might have had any experience with would be that of emperor worship. This is the second Gentile centurion that is well regarded in the New Testament. If you will, turn to, to Matthew chapter 8 for a moment. Because it's, it is a great and wondrous scene that we see in this. And if we turn to uh, verse 5 of chapter 8. And when Jesus had entered Capernaum, a centurion came to him, pleading with him, saying, Lord, my servant is lying at home paralyzed, dreadfully tormented. Jesus said to him, 
I will come and heal him. The centurion answered and said, Lord, I am not worthy that you should come under my roof, but only speak a word and my servant will be healed. For I also am a man under authority, having soldiers under me, and I say to this one, go, and he goes, and to another, come, and he comes, and to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard it, he marveled, and said to those who followed, Assuredly, I say to you, I have not found such great faith, not even in Israel. And I say to you, that many will come from the east and west and sit down with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. But the sons of the kingdom will be cast out into outer darkness. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Jesus said to the centurion, Go your way. As you have believed, so let it be done to you. And his servant was healed at that hour. An amazing interaction that took place He addresses Jesus as Lord. We see his humility. I am not worthy that you should come under my roof. And Jesus responds to him, verse 10, I have not found such great faith, even in Israel. And of course, verse 13, go your way, and as you have believed, so let it be done to you. Now as we come back to Acts chapter 10, we have this centurion. Verse 2 is described as a devout man who feared God, gave alms generously, and a man of constant prayer. He wasn't born this way. This is not a case of being shaped by an environment. This word, devout, the Greek word is eusebes. And it means godly. It means one who is careful. Careful not to do the things that are offensive to God. And so he had a reverence for God. For God's glory and a respect of God's authority. And no doubt, perhaps he had been around some of the synagogues as he was part of that group that would be watching what the Jews were doing. And he heard of the one and the true God. And this is a great sign of how the providence of God is at work when he's bringing someone to salvation. He will bring him into those places where he will hear the word of God. So the providence of God appears in this man's salvation, exposing him to the reality and the being of the one true God. Now note the effect that he had. It was not only that he was this way by himself, but he had an effect on his family as well. He was a devout man and one who feared God with all his household. What a blessing fatherhood is. But there's something that is placed upon fathers, godly fathers, 
need to be the spiritual leaders and embrace the honor that God has given you to be the spiritual leader of your family. Now, this man was charitable. He was cheerful. He was prayerful. He's always continually praying. And in verse 3, at the ninth hour, the third hour, th 3 p.m. in the afternoon, 1,500 hours, it was a standard hour of prayer, as we see like in verse 30 in recounting this. So Cornelius said, four days I was fasting until this hour. At the ninth hour I prayed in my house. Behold, a man stood before me in bright clothing. It was the hour of prayer. And note what happened. Verse 3, about the ninth hour of the day, <clears throat> he saw clearly in a vision an angel of God coming in and saying to him, Cornelius. He saw clearly. The King James says he saw evident, it was evidently. He saw evidently, which means the same thing as clearly, plainly, or obviously. It was, in essence, a vision with some kind of evidence to it. And so the angel manifests himself to Cornelius and he does so in such a way that is clear, it is plain, it is obvious. And the angel addresses him by name. This shows to Cornelius that God had taken a specific and special notice of him. I don't think you'll ever really love the sound of your name the way you will love it when you hear God say it. And so now, in verse 4, and when he observed him, he was afraid and said, the first thing, when you come into contact with holiness, you understand right away you're a sinner. And it was almost like he said, what have I done? What, what, what is it? It's a vision of holiness and authority and power. And he looks upon this angel and he was afraid. You know, we don't read in Scripture... People going angel hunting or conjuring. The reaction to an angel's presence is normally fear. Why? Think of where the angel has come from. He's been in the presence of the thrice holy God. Remember what happened to Moses? He didn't even get to see God. God passed by him as he was hidden in the cleft of the rock. And what happened? Moses' face was beaming with brightness because of the contact with holiness. And when he came down off the mountain, they said, Moses, cover your face. We can't stand to look at this holiness. So here you have an angel appearing. Again, Holiness, sinlessness, appearing to a sinner. 
We don't see anyone in Scripture saying to a holy angel, it's good to see you. <laughs> and here, Cornelius asks, what is it, Lord? The ESV has, and he stared at him in terror and said, what is it, Lord? In essence, is something wrong? But there's also this that's very similar to what Joshua said. What saith my Lord to his servant? Or the words of Samuel. Speak, Lord, for thy servant, servant heareth. Isn't that a good way to prepare our hearts for the reading of God's word? For the hearing of it being taught? Or preached. The word angel means messenger. And so here we come to the message. And first, as what is the normal protocol, we find that the angel gives words of assurance. He says to him, your prayers and your alms, your charitable deeds, giving, have come up and ascended as a memorial to God. We note that his prayers were the spiritual outgoing of his soul. And his alms, his charitable giving, was the practical outgoing to man. His soul lifted up to God in prayer, his giving towards man, outgoing to man. They come up as a memorial. Now this the only other time that this word shows up in the New Testament is when Jesus says it about Mary of Bethany in Matthew 26, when she anointed his body, if you will, with the spikenard. It means that his words had come as a sacrifice that was well-pleasing unto God. And so the message from the angel was short, and it contained a command. In verse 5, now send men, send men to Joppa and send for Simon, whose surname is Peter. What's the purpose? Well, in verse 6, he will tell you what you must do. He will tell you what you must do. That's, that's a very key thing to understanding what's going on here. So then the third part here is the meaning. What does all this mean? You notice the angel doesn't say to him, Cornelius, God has taken note of your good deeds and charity. Keep up the good work. See you next year. He tells him, in essence, God knows what you're doing, but you know what? There's something missing. Something is missing, and you need to know what that is. God would have him to be saved, and what Cornelius had done, good as it was, was certainly not enough. Go to Peter. It was not the angel's place. You notice the angel does not say, here's what you need to know. 
You need to know about Jesus Christ. The angel doesn't go there. Why? It's not his place. It's not his place. We are told, and Peter tells us in 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 12, that salvation is something angels long to look into. It has really nothing to do with them. Their, their place as holy angels is forever fixed. But they are intrigued by this great salvation. Go to Peter, says the angel. The angel's place was to direct him to the one called to proclaim the gospel. To the ordinary means of spiritual knowledge, here you are to go. We have seen two illustrations of that already in our tour through this book. The eunuch is led to the truth through Philip. Saul is led to the truth through Ananias. And now here, this man will be led to the truth by Peter. Go to him. He will tell you what you must do. And so in recounting this, in verse 22, they said, Cornelius, uh, the centurion, as it came to Peter, and we're talking about just man, one who fears God, has a good reputation among all the nations of the Jews, was divinely instructed by a holy angel to summon you to his house and hear what? Hear you sing. Sing religious songs. Sing contemporary Christian songs. Move him with your music. No, he says. He has words. Words. And to hear words from you. That's what he's called to do. And in verse 32... Send therefore to Joppa and call Simon here, whose surname is Peter. He's lodging at the house of Simon, a tanner by the sea. When he comes, he will do what? He will speak to you. And of course, he will speak words. And in verse chapter 11 and verse 14, the end of verse 13, send men to Joppa and call for Simon, whose surname is Peter, who what? Verse 14, will tell you Words, words by which you and your household will be saved. Now you know why in this day and age, as it has been for many of the ages, that the word of God is under such attack because it is the key to eternal life. Oh, the grace of God that would not stop and bring this hand, this, this brand that's plucked from the fire. It appears perhaps that, that Cornelius might have known of the promise of the Messiah, but now he must believe in the performance of that promise. What he had done so far was like the Old Testament sacrifices. And I believe he did them in faith, in faith of the coming Messiah. 
And so they were accepted. They were as a memorial to God. Because apart from faith, you cannot please God. And so we have, as we come towards the end of this, we have the understanding. And there are two specifically uh, very important things. The first is, the message is clear. You can't go to God by works. No matter what, works will not commend us to the Lord. Works will not work as a giant eraser to erase our sins. It doesn't happen. It can't happen that way. If your works could save you, Christ died in vain. We understand that, I hope. Salvation will always be by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. Your generosity may get your name on a building, but Christ puts your name in the Lamb's Book of Life. Secondly, God is a God who uses means. He established the order of all things. Sometimes people read Exodus and they read all the things that were involved in, in the construction of the tabernacle and their eyes start to glaze over and they begin to wonder, okay, this type of skin, this color, this number of rings, this type of wood, these, this type of metal to be used, what size, all that, and they start to say, what is this? This is God saying, if you are to worship me, this is how I am to be worshipped. It's not up to you to make it up. And so we see the order here even. Angels minister to us, but they are not sent by God to proclaim the gospel. Though they are more holy by far and more powerful, they don't have the honor of being used by God to bring souls to himself. What a privilege and that God has left for his people. For every person called by God to Christ and salvation, for every one of them, there will be a Simon, there will be a Philip, there will be an Ananias to bring the word of God to them. You don't have to be an apostle. You don't have to be a pastor, an elder, or a deacon. You know, Philip didn't have any great title, but how God used him. Ananias, we never heard of him until he was sent to Paul. What a privilege. What an honor God has left for us, his people, to be part of the means by which he will draw people savingly to Christ and eternal salvation. The grace of God is wonderful. Let's stand together for prayer.